Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Happy November. Oh my goodness, we are moving into holiday season. You know, I have some past podcast episodes that I think you guys should go check out. I have one with uh, Michelle Dempsey, Multac, about how to handle the holidays and divorce. We'll link them in the show notes. Um, I don't really want to reinvent the wheel because I've done a bunch of things on holidays um, before. So we'll just link to them so that you can uh, get pointed to um, some of the best resources uh, that I have on those. Um, and today I'm bringing back my, my dear friend, Dr. Christine Cocciola. Um, she is a coercive control advocate. She's an educator, a researcher, and a survivor. She's a full-time college professor teaching social work for the last 20 years in Connecticut and also an adjunct instructor at NYU. And her expertise is in the areas of coercive control and the traumatic experiences of both adult and child victims. She develops and presents workshops on these topics nationally and internationally. And today we're actually talking about her program. She has a program right now called the Protective Parenting Program. And this is for protective parents navigating parenting a child who has been used as a pawn in their divorce or separation from an abuser or a coercive controller. And this program is designed to help alleviate your own traumatic reactions so that you're better able to respond to your children's behaviors and also create a more secure environment for your child. Christine is, is just one of the smartest experts I know on the topic of coercive control. And she is um, she's really a genius in this um, area. And, you know, she really says, you are your child's saving grace. And so it's really important to ignite, reignite, um, and foster the attachment that you have with your child in order to give them the safe place and the safe landing uh, place that they need uh, while you're going through this really tricky time. So um, without further ado... I am going to turn this over to my conversation with Dr. Christine Cocciola. Christine, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I always love talking to you, and I'm excited for this conversation in particular. Thank you for having me, Kate. All right. We are talking about children and children who are the victims of the co coercive controlling behavior by an abusive partner or and parent, right? So should we first start out with um, 
redefining for my audience, um, those who don't know, um, what is coercive control? What do we mean by that? Sure. So it's, it's, it is definitely a word that we're using more and more, but it's been around for a long time. So it's something that's been used when it dis- when we describe pr- prisoners of war who actually will align with their prisoners, um, uh, their whoever's whoever they're prisoned by, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Biderman came up with the Biderman report and talked about coercive control in those situations. In the 1970s, we had psychologists talking about this and also talking about intimate terrorism. How when we are in relationships with people who want to control us, that it can often feel like entrapment. And so the thing about coercive control is that it's a pattern of behavior. It is It can be covert or overt. And it is when one person wants to retain power and control over another person. Power over is kind of like the phrase I use often. And what I think is most important for people to realize is that this is the foundation of most domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is not two people fighting, one person smacks the other person, no matter how horrifying that is. Uh, the person may get hospitalized, it could be violent. That is what we term mostly situational violence, where a person might have a maladaptive coping of being extremely aggressive when they are when they are upset horrifying, awful. There's no question about it. But that that's not based on power and control. And so coercive control is when the relationship itself is based on one person having power and control over the other person. And and here's the thing that I think your listeners really need to be aware of is that it doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be, oh, he trapped her in the laundry room or, oh, he only gives her a certain allowance every month. That would be financial abuse or, oh, he, um, you know, he's a philanderer. He cheats. And then he tells her that, you know, he never cheated. That's like manipulation and gaslighting. It can be really insidious and so covert that you don't even notice it. And there might be so many moments of good in the relationship that you wouldn't even really be able to recognize the bad. It, the, the bad so quickly dissipates in some of these relationships because remember, the brain's number one job is to keep us safe. And so cognitive dissonance is a go-to for us. We we want to forget all of the bad shit that happened mm-hmm. if, there was a, if there was a couple of nice moments. And so it's, of course, psychological abuse, where there's gaslighting, manipulation, intimidation, and isolation, among many other things. There's verbal assaults. That's part of the psychological abuse. I call it psychological abuse because I feel like that encompasses our emotional reaction, but also the trauma that is actually impacting our brain. Um, There is legal abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, and use of the children as pawns. So, I mean, I think that about covers it, although there's so much more to say, so much more to say. Right. I mean, essentially, when we define domestic violence or domestic abuse, it's the same definition, right? When we officially define it as the system of power and control, right? The systematic use of power and control over another, right? And so 
I mean, essentially what you're saying, I think, is that coercive control underpins all other forms of domestic abuse. It really does. I think what is what is interesting, though, is when we think about like when legislation, Mm. right, legislation does not look at coercive control as a form of domestic, and they use the words domestic violence in legislation. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if I've been physically harmed and I go to the hospital, I have a bruise, I have scratches, I have, I now meet the qualifications for domestic violence in in 45 states. Now in five states, thankfully, coercive control is seen as a form of domestic violence. So they're not one in the same definitions legally. Not legally. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. right. And in, there are only five states in which it has been codified, but it's still not criminalized. Is Correct. Right? So can you Correct. explain the difference there? And sure. what we mean by that? Sure. So, um, you know, I could say that I am a victim of domestic violence if I've received harassing, threatening emails, or if I've, if I can prove my partner has used vexatious litigation, they have brought me back to court for numerous pleadings. Um, that is certainly, I can say that I suffered domestic violence, but that doesn't mean it's an arrestable offense, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's arrestable. So the question becomes under what parameters of the law in that particular state are 3,000 harassing, threatening emails considered a criminal offense? So you see, it's very nuanced. And a lot of people are against criminalizing it because a lot of people fear this whole Darvo world that we live in. Mm. And so, um, you know, in the UK, we know it's working very successfully where there, I mean, there are people who have been charged criminally. Um, the rate of them actually um, being arrested and convicted is very low, but there are people being charged for the criminal offense. So. Um, if anybody was listening to the International Course of Control Conference, there were people speaking specifically to that. So the idea is, is that this is all very frightening territory because if you're a victim and you're not typically believed, right? So what if you're a victim and your abuser has, in some ways, you feel trapped over and over again, you're being gaslit over and over and over again. And then you finally, at one point, say, you know, shut the F up and you push the bastard, right? now. Who's the abuser? Right. When actually you are, we saw still the other person, (laughs) still the other person, right? You have only been defensive, finally lost, you know, lost your ability to control yourself because of the over and over insidious, over and over again, manipulation that has occurred. There's only so much a human can tolerate. We see this, uh, think about a prisoner of war. I mean, right. there's only so much you can tolerate, and then you eventually might align with the abuser simply to create peace because your brain can't handle it anymore. And and I just want to go back to when you said that you can call yourself a victim of domestic abuse, but the person won't be arrested for it. That's what we mean by the difference between something being codified and criminalized. Correct. Right? In the family court. So think in about the, the, in the, so this is the family court. Is it a criminal offense? In the, in the criminal court, it's not. Mm-hmm. It is not. Right. So in the family court, if you can prove it, then you will be arrested for domestic violence for harassing emails. But it's not a criminal offense. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And we're working on that. We are. <laughs> and again, that's only in five states. Mm-hmm. So that's only in California, Hawaii, Washington, Colorado, and Connecticut. 
Correct. So now that we've sort of we've identified what coercive control is, what we're what what we're talking about here today is how this impacts children. Uh, you know, you said recently that domestic abuse and child abuse are not siloed. These mm-hmm. are not separate issues. Mm-hmm. That if somebody is abusing you mm-hmm. in your home or outside of the home, right? Even if, even if it's digitally, like if they are coercively controlling you, they are also abusing your children. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So I want anyone who's listening, if they are a victim or a survivor, or they know someone who is a victim or a survivor, I want you to remember that feeling you had when you came home and you were worried about what was for dinner or you were worried about the fact that you were out with girlfriends and maybe stayed out a little bit later than he would have liked, or you're just coming back from the gym and you have your yoga pants on and you know he doesn't like your yoga pants on when you go out in public. And I I want you to remember that feeling that you had, right? There's an anxiety in that, okay? And that what is going on, of course, is your brain is responding, right? Cortisol levels are flooding you. You're feeling anxious, Every single time that your child is coming home and recognizing you being regulating your behavior, our children are regulating their behavior also. So really what's been happening, I believe, is that there has been an unacknowledged abuse of children going on since the beginning of time. That we are not actually, we say, oh, they witnessed it or they were exposed to it. And I am suggesting, and the research confirms, affirms over and over again, that children learn to regulate their behavior in these homes. They learn very clearly how they should behave in order to keep equilibrium and that that is a trauma response. In addition to that, they tend to have self-sufficiency issues where because when you don't, when you have no, think about, so going back to this power over dynamic that adult victims and perpetrators have, he has power over her. She's stripped of her autonomy, her ability to really know what she should know. That's no fault of her own. But the reality is, is he has done this slowly, insidiously over time. So she really can't figure out, should she be upset about the fact that he came home two hours late or didn't show up at her mother's birthday? Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be that upset because he keeps telling me I'm wrong for feeling what I'm feeling. So now your children see you questioning yourself. They know it. They're Mm -hmm. attuned to us. Mm They see us questioning ourselves and then add in there that they are stripped of their agency. They lose their ability to know what they should know. So we often say, how could that child align with that abuser? How could they do that? Well, guess what? I don't (laughs) know. I'm a kid. Like, I don't know. You're not, you're not, you're not. You are my safe parent, but you're not safe because you're not, you're, you're really dysregulated and you don't know how to behave with him. And if you don't know how to behave with him, how am I supposed to know how to behave with him? 
Mm-hmm. I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I am so, I am like, I, I call it like, right. You're, you're, they're lost out in the stormy sea. They're mm-hmm. waiting for a lifeline, but you can't even throw it to them because you don't have a lifeboat. Cause you're just as lost. They regulate their behavior so much that they don't know how to do things on their own because they've always been controlled by the abuser, whether it's insidiously or not. So think about, I am trying really hard to figure out maybe what, I don't know, college to go to. I'm 17. Am I going to choose that college based on what I think the abuser wants? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't keep him happy, then I've seen what he does when he's not happy with you, mom. I've watched this play out. So I have to regulate my behavior all the time. And therefore, I can't make decisions on my own. I don't have the ability to be self-sufficient because I don't trust myself. I can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So, of course, self-worth is compromised. Um, I mean, there's just... So I would say one of the things that we know occurs is that an abuser is always attempting to retain control. In order to retain control, I need to keep you ego compromised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need you to always be wondering if you're doing the right thing. I need you to not have autonomy, to not have agency. I need you to question yourself all of the time so that when you're questioning yourself, the only person you can lean on is me. Mm. So I retain control. This is, and this is the lives of children, right? Not only, so they're having the exact same experience. I, I believe they are, yes. That the that the victim survivor is having. And they also have no, they don't have a parent. They don't have a safe, I mean, they have a safe parent, but they don't really have a safe parent because they don't have any model for safety, security. Right, which is yeah. why it's it's so important um, that we continue to show up empowered, and um, and this is and I'm I'm not suggesting this is easy. No, I'm right. not suggesting this is easy, but um, they need to know. Like, and so here's the other thing: is that sometimes these kids can be reactive with us, right? We get their worst. Because we're the safe one. They know deep down inside we are the safe one, but they can't lean on us because we don't behave safe when we're with the abuser. We are accommodating with the abuser. Mm -hmm. So we get their arrows. They just literally, some of these kids can be, um, I think I've heard moms say, you know, he mimics, she mimics the abuser. Right. She's behaving just like he did to me. And how do we... How do we withstand that? And I I say to moms over and over again, you are the adult trauma victim. You have a developed brain. They are children. They are the child victim. So guess what? I'm like, this sounds a little snarky here, but I'm sorry that shit hurts you. I'm sorry it does. But if I told you that if you could withstand it and you could keep some armor up and deflect every single arrow away, it's not personal. They are, they are. Children, the only children's behavior is their pain. Mm-hmm. Right. So every time they're attacking you, that's really just their pain. Take it. 
That's right. Take it. It's not personal. Deflect it. Do not, do not let them see that this is breaking you. Because what we want them to see is that no matter what they throw your way, you love them and you will be there unconditionally because guess what? That abuser, his love is totally conditional. It is only based on what they give him. So it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's painful to withstand their uh, their behaviors. It is. And I think that, you know, I think the other reason that kids can can do this and correct me if I'm wrong, right, is that in their world, there are two options. Either I'm a victim or I'm the abuser, right? And who is it safer to align with for a child, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. It's mm-hmm. much safer to be the abuser, even though they don't particularly want to be an abuser, right? But that's, that is the safe behavior because otherwise you're the victim. Well, right. And if I don't do what the abuser wants me to do, if I don't play the role that they're requesting me to do, they will reject me. Mm-hmm. And right. re- and being rejected by a parent is, of course, one of the greatest griefs that a child could carry. So yeah. how how do I navigate this? Well, I have two choices. You're absolutely right. I either, you know, poor mom, I can't believe she's going through this, or... I am going to play the game. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we say that coercive control is when children are used as pawns. So he's using that child as a pawn. And sometimes I hear parents, moms say all the time to me, like, why does she listen to him? Why does she do that? And I'm like, because she has, she doesn't feel like she has a choice. This is survival for her. It's mm-hmm. an act of compliance is, is survival. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard my letter from the abuser, but like, it's, it's literally just what's going on in their head. They, they have no choice but to follow through. If they don't, then he's going to retaliate against them. And sometimes they they do it simply because they think if I'm a buffer, I could be a buffer for mom. Mom's not going to get the wrath as bad. Right. And that's just, oh, what a horrible position to put kids in. Which is abuse. Let's it, right, right. It's child abuse. Right. It's child abuse not recognized by CPS. Child Protective Services, I mean, literally hardly ever, right? Right. It's Mm -hmm. child abuse not recognized by the legal system, uh, by GALs, sometimes by therapists. I I can give you an account of a client I had where the therapist was saying to the young man, yeah, it sounds like your dad is hard to get along with. It just sounds like he's hard. And I'm like, no, he's an abuser. That's what he is. And now for a quick word from our sponsor. The all-new, fully revised, Should I Stay or Should I Go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all-new version has all-new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules. The first of which is, who are you? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this yourself. 
Module three is called Why Are Women So Exhausted? and breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship, and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. Module 5 is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. How do we protect our children? First of all, right? So coercive control is not, it's not recognized, right? By the courts. And so it's not something that you can necessarily use in a custody evaluation, right? Or to, to gain more custody. So then your choice is keep the children under the roof of the, with the abuser 24 seven or, you know, but with me there acting as a buffer or, uh, you know, leave them to be victims 50% of the time with no help. Yeah, I don't, there's no answer for this. This is, it's, 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 it's a trap. I mean, there is no answer. I mean, for me personally, it was so toxic with me being there. I felt like the only hope I had to save the relationship that I wanted with my, in particular, my daughter was to leave. And thankfully it, that did happen. Right. But you know, when you have young children, when you, I, there, I don't, there's no words. I don't know what the answer is because it's a, it's a trap. Yeah. And he knows that. And I would say that that's really important for people to hear is that don't just assume that just because you left him now, this has started. Let me tell you, he's been laying this foundation from the day he knew that those kids mattered to you. I don't care if they were five and you met him when you, when they were five or when you gave birth to them, he knew exactly what mattered most to you. And he has been preemptively laying the foundation so that he can do whatever he has to, to either keep you in the relationship or to harm you because you left. Mm. That's his pathology. He can't help himself. I understand that people have to weigh what are the benefits of leaving versus the costs. From what I understand, the research does bear out that giving them a safe place to land 
at least even if it's only 50% of the time, right? I mean, what I say is that it gives them the gift of perspective. Mm-hmm. Because if we're in it, we're condoning it. We are participating in it, not maliciously or mm-hmm. right. But if we're out, they have the ability to see what safety looks like, what safety feels like, right? They they have perspective. I I agree. I agree. Um, I think for some people that's an easier option. Like it's 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 like a, okay, that makes sense because yeah. their children actually get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The issue becomes, and this is the other thing that I always tell protective moms, is that even if your child is getting it now, it doesn't mean he's not consistently, persistently attempting to indoctrinate them. So if they get it and they like, mommy, you know, I want to be with you more, you know, they understand that you are the safe parent. That doesn't mean that that's not going to change on a dime. And so you have to be actively working all of the time to create the foundation that they clearly know. There's no question. And that comes from us being more regulated, by the way, even though we're being triggered all the time. Mm-hmm. It really comes from them seeing us consistently as the calm parent who is who is able to regulate right. versus we have to be different than the abuser describes us. And we have to be different than they expect us to be. So maybe they have seen us in that relationship maybe crying, being dysregulated, reasonable. We have to be different in these circumstances with them. That's so interesting, right? Because, right, they they needle us, they're controlling us, they're, right? And then we lose our shit and they're like, wow, mom's a little like unstable. Mm-hmm. Never mind who destabilized us. Right. Mom's unstable. Right. Mom's unsafe, right? So it's our job what you're saying is it's our job to become so regulated that in the face of all of their attempts at destabilizing us, we are still strong in ourselves. And I right. think the only way that that can be done is out of the house. Well, I would say that I, I that you can't you can't heal from the trauma while you're living in the trauma, right? right. There's that number one, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's very difficult to do while you're living in the house. I'm sure it, it can be done, but I also think that it's important to keep in mind that the kids are saying, "Yes, mom is is safe," but if they are going to his house fifty percent of the time, they are getting a completely different narrative, right? And so understand that he is working double time to destroy you. I'm sorry. That's the truth. If he is working double time to destroy you and to create ego compromise in your child, so your child always is questioning themselves and always wondering where they're safe, even if they know they're safe with you, you have to understand that you have to be working triple time while they're with you. One of the things I say to my my moms that I think is like people are like, really? I'm like, yeah, you have to fake it till you make it. You may not be regulated, You may be very triggered. You may be very upset. I need you to pretend you're on a stage acting and you fake it as you, and then you go in the bathroom and you cry Mm -hmm. and you go outside and you scream, but with them and and part of, um, part of what has to happen, I think is the best way to help our children is to be beyond mothers, but to actually like use clinical guidance, like you almost have to be the, so if your child was dysregulated with you and calling you horrible names, let's say mm-hmm. as a mom, you'd be like, how dare you talk to me that way? That's disrespectful. Right. 
I can't believe you talked to me that way. Maybe you'd say, maybe you'd cry. Like, why would you say that to me? That's so hurtful, right? Variety of different responses, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Well, first of all, if your child is being coercively controlled and indoctrinated, they are aligning with the abuser, then they are taking on tendencies. I'm going to say this word cautiously. All children can be narcissists. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's just be really sure. clear. Like yeah. all children have narcissistic tendencies. Teenagers in particular have them even more. <laughs> right. Tell me about it. But if they are aligned with the abuser and they are saying those things to you, you realize when you call them disrespectful that you are actually harming their ego. You are telling them they're bad. They already think they're bad. They already think they're bad. So what mm-hmm. could you say instead of that? So if you were if you were a mom, you'd say all those things. If you were a counselor, if you were their therapist and they were in their office with you and you heard them talking that way, what would you say? And you would say, I don't appreciate being talked to that way. I'd really like it if we didn't swear in our house. So you see, first of all, I'm using I statements. Mm-hmm. I'm not making accusations at you. Right. Right. Second of all, I'm lending calm. I'm just like, you're not dysregulating me. Now, I might be like really clenching my teeth right now, like really, really ready to blow a gasket, but I am going to fake it and pretend that that child is my client, not my child in this moment. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. to be different because he is trying to create an ego compromised child, which is abuse. And I have to create an ego resilient child. Mm which starts with our own resilience. Mm -hmm. Are there some grounding techniques that you recommend like to help with this? Because Lord, because, you know, once we're triggered, like we're off, we're gone. Right. How do we, how do we keep ourselves from going or if we've gone, come back? Sure. So I think, Think about this. When you go for a job interview, right? Mm-hmm. You prepare yourself. At least back in the old days, we did. We prepare yeah. ourselves. <laughs> we came up with a list of questions they might ask us. So what if you came up with a list of what your child says typically when they come home from visits? Mm. What are the things that occur most of the time when they come home? Yeah, they're going to have a temper tantrum or right or they're angry they just they start whatever it is right they're raging they're screaming they're crying they might say oh you made that for dinner dad took me here mm-hmm. or me and dad's girlfriend we enjoyed dinner here how come we never go out i mean i'm thinking about the age it's a spectrum right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on the age right mm-hmm. okay and you're triggered by that you know first of all he cheated on you he's with that woman that woman's with your children you're like oh my god i can't handle this But if you prepared yourself for your child saying that Mm. and you came up with what your response is going to be and you practice that response, again, you're an actor on stage until you have to fake it till you make it and you practice that response that you know is a better response than what you would typically give, does that begin to deescalate the situation? I mean, you'll you'll see your kid's head turn like, what the heck did she just say to me? Like, they can't believe you didn't get upset about the fact that they were out with the girlfriend or dad come up the stairs. Dad, dad said you're a sociopath. 
instead of, I can't believe he said that, right? Your response is, oh, really? That's funny. I think he's a sociopath. I mean, I don't know if you say that. It depends on the age. You don't (laughs) say that when you're younger. (laughs) Right, right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the other thing I tell people. Like, the problem is, is that we've been gaslighting them for years. Yes. Yes. We've been gaslighting them to think our family is okay. Mm -hmm. Everything's all right. Mm -hmm. We've been placating him. We need to lay the truth out there. Oh, yes, we do. So is it okay when your five-year-old comes home and says, daddy yelled at me because of, you know, I moved my truck and he didn't like where I parked it. I don't know. Right. And you say, I'm so sorry, daddy yelled at you. I don't like yelling. I'm glad we don't yell in our home. Do you see that we just literally validated Mm -hmm. and reaffirmed where the safe place is? Yes. I like, I like that. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So I say to people, be prepared for the triggers that your children give you. Mm-hmm. But now, how do you trigger your child? Because you do. Hmm. What do you do that triggers them? Does it trigger them when they come home and you say, hey, how was dinner with dad? Does that trigger them? Or who went to dinner when they know really you're kind of wondering if the girlfriend went, right? Right. Like, if that triggers them, why are you saying that? I have um, a client who has a child who... Just, she really doesn't like the way he eats. He's an adolescent and a lot of them don't eat healthy. You know, what we do, you know, with adolescents, what we do is we say, we hope by the end of the week, they got enough nutrition in them. Right. right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> it's true. It's you the know? worst. It's the yes. worst. That's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, over the course of the week, did he have any vegetables? That right. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to, but this mom often calls out his eating. And I, I said to her, so that's, that's your issue. His eating is your issue. What can you let go of? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, you know, so adolescents like to stay up till one or two in the morning. Like, really, we're going to make a fight over one or two in the morning. We've got many other bigger, bigger fish to fry here. Mm. Like, let go of what you can. But also understand that they've been gaslit. And we have to lay out the truth when we can. Without calling him a bad person, we can say, that's too bad. I'm sorry somebody talked to you that way. Mm-hmm. You can say, I'm sorry dad talked to you that way if you want to. But, you know, I'm sorry that no one deserves to be talked to that way. Like, versus what I have found with moms is they're so afraid of saying, we hear this over and over again, like, never talk bad about the other parent. Never right. talk. Well, I'm not yeah. telling you to talk bad about the other parent. I'm telling you to tell the truth. Right. That it's the way they are talking to you is not okay. Mm-hmm. There was a, a a client posted in my client Facebook group this week about how her kids love her new boyfriend and are desperate for them to get married and for him to move in. I mean, they've been together for a couple of years now, right? Like... Um, and they love him and they love him more than their dad because he's a safe parent and he's loving and he's kind. And they'll say something like, we want him to be our new dad. Um, cause you know, we don't like dad or they'll say something. And she keeps sort of, she was posting about it and about how uncomfortable it was for her to keep sort of feeling like she had to reaffirm dad. 
oh, but your dad's great. Oh, but your dad's this. And all of the comments, and I was so happy. All the comments were like, fuck that. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. don't first stop. We can't gaslight our kids. No. Don't be like, oh, but your dad's great. Oh, but you love your dad when your dad, when they are completely aware that their dad is not great, that their dad hurts them when they are, you know, able to verbalize, I don't want to go to dad's house. Right. Right. And, and I said, you know, listen, you can, you can hold both. You can say like, yes, Darren is amazing. Right. You can, you can, you can affirm Darren's amazingness without also trying to like juggle and balance the, you know, balance the tables here, balance the scales. You don't have to balance those scales. It's not your fucking job. Right. Right. And you could say, you could say, I understand why you love Darren so much. He is kind. He's great. He's, right. He does love you implicitly. I can see that, honey. I can see how happy he makes you. Mm-hmm. You know, like in other words, affirm those wonderful qualities so that that way they're really clear that those are the good qualities, That's right? That's right. Yeah. 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 But That's um, right. you know, I, I, when I hear people say, well, he was a good dad. I'm like, no. Was he? Was he? he? Was never, no. Right. So let's be clear. <laughs> If you were married to a coercive controller, you were ever married, had a partner who was a coercive controller, they are not good human beings. They are actually the the worst human beings on the planet because they try to harm people in insidious ways. And frankly, they are never good parents. I don't care who they are. They are not good parents. They don't love unconditionally. The number one thing that every child needs to have a healthy ego, to have ego resiliency, is to have the love of unconditional love and positive regard from at least one primary caretaker. And that person is not that. And that person harms their ego. Yeah. When somebody is going to use your child against you to harm you, but knows they're harming them and doesn't give a shit about that. I'm sorry. They are the evil on this planet. Right. Because I know I hear all the, all the women being like, well, but he doesn't mean it. It's just that he had a really hard childhood and, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, he was just, he was so wounded and he didn't get unconditional love. Doesn't matter. Everybody abuse is a choice. We all, you know, listen, this is the thing. So the Harvard, there's a Harvard study that shows that we are all born either a little ego compromised or ego resilient based on genetics. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that the environment we grow up in is going to either enhance that right? Ego resiliency or, or harm it. Right. And so for the abuser, he evidently may have been born in an ego compromised um, state. And then he grew up in a home where his ego was not able to, to grow in a healthy way. That's not your fucking fault. And it's definitely not your children's fault. That's right. And, and, and he chooses. So there are people, you know, this, I know you do, Kate, we know people who have had horrible childhoods, uh-huh. And they end up being decent human beings. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they they end up finding the resiliency within themselves to be decent human beings. And so, no, there is no excuse for abuse. And I know that's a silly, like, feels cliche at this point, but there is no excuse for it. And no, he is not a good person. I don't think it's cliche at all. I think it's important to restate because I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. He's a really great guy. It's just that he struggles with blah, blah, blah. You know, I struggle with all sorts of shit, but I go to therapy and I get on medication and I, you know, and I change behaviors that hurt other people because they're not okay. Are these people, coercive controllers in particular, are they capable of love? Like, 
do they love their children? You're going to send me down the rabbit hole of the pathology, which I love to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it too. Let's go. (laughs) So not all narcissists are coercive controllers, but all coercive controllers are narcissists. They do not have the ability to, they, they think they love. And people may feel loved by them, but it's not real love. So real love is healthy, is um, has boundaries. People um, are, it's unconditional and people don't use, this is a key. See, this I would say is one of the things that every single person listening could say, oh, that's happened to me. Someone has used your vulnerability against you, Oof. right? Who does that? Right. Who does that? Not a person who, not someone who knows how to love. Right. They don't know. That's not love. Right. Right? So, so I would say that they, they do not know how to love. They wish they did. Oh, they Mm -hmm. wish so badly that they knew how to love Mm -hmm. and they envy anybody who does, which is why they envy you, which is why they envy your relationships with your children, which is why they want to destroy it. That's right. And I think that that is, you know, it's important to like narcissists, you know, one of the things that differentiates narcissists from sociopaths, right? And psychopaths is that they're actually really unhappy. They're actually like incredibly unhappy. They're able to feel their unhappiness. Whereas sociopaths or psychopaths, like they're not particularly unhappy because they don't have that depth of feeling, right? Yeah, I suppose. I guess that I, my way of thinking is a little bit, maybe it's a little more drastic, but I think that many people who are, many of the stories that I've heard, and I know you've heard, Mm -hmm. um, really indicate that someone is a psychopath. And Mm so, um, you know, that they're beyond narcissists. Mm -hmm. There's delusional thinking in there, right? They, right. they they get themselves to believe that people are attacking them. Um, they may actually believe they are happy, right? It's very nuanced. It's yeah. just so hard to wrap your head around it. I love what Dr. Yeah. Grande does when he unpacks it. He unpacks Machiavellianism and um, psychopath factor one and factor two. So are they happy? I don't, you know, I think they get happiness out of hurting people. Yes, exactly. Psychopaths, mm-hmm. for sure. They get, they derive not only, I mean, I, I think I've, I've heard about that there are studies that are done that will show that for a psychopath, they're not only do their empathy centers not light up mm-hmm. in the face of someone else's pain, but the pleasure centers of their brain light up in the mm-hmm. face of someone's pain, mm-hmm. which is distinct from a narcissist, right? Because they really are just truly desperately unhappy. And I think that's the trap though, right? The trap is that like, we see their pain. We understand their childhood wounding. We want to help them if we could just love them enough, right? And then we we keep falling on the same sword over and over again. Correct. Correct. Nothing's happening for them over there. Right. And I guess, I guess that's maybe where I, so I think that most of the people that I have worked with who have experienced this kind of trauma, that they're not just dealing with narcissists. They are dealing with psychopaths. I guess that's where I'm making leap. You know, I, I think it's a spectrum. I think that there are some, I mean, you know, I, I can think of um a client right now who, I mean, she thinks it's really horrible and her situation is horrible to her. 
right? Certainly mm-hmm. horrible to her. But when I compare it to other people's situations, I mean, it literally seems like a walk in the park. Of course, I would never like tell her that, right? Mm-hmm. I would want to validate mm-hmm. her circumstances, but it, it can be very nuanced. But I think that most of the people that are dealing with family court that have their children being turned against them, yes, we're dealing with beyond the typical um, pathology. I think you're right. I think anybody who's going to end up in sort of post-separation abuse that uses the courts as a weapon and like they are, they're not admitting defeat mm-hmm. that goes into psychopathy, right? right? If someone doesn't go, oh, fuck. All right. I really fucked that up. Right. I really fucked up that relationship. I feel, I feel shitty about it, but we'll move along and, you know, and try and make this work. Right. Even if you've been abused in that situation, I mean, that was my situation. Like there was abuse happening, but at the end of the day, you know, it was, he went into victim mode, like, oh, woe is me. I've lost my family and blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to be, I'm going to be super dad and I'm going to be, you know, super ex-husband. Right. Cause he's not a psychopath. Right. Which is unfortunate that so many of so many women though are dealing with psychopathy, you know, meaning that their abusers are because that is, you know, your situation was horrible, but there's a reckoning that happens. Right. right. And so, um, but for some, it never ends, you know, 10 years in court, 15 years in court, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Christine, tell us about your new program. It's all about this. Yeah. Well, I started the protective parenting program because I really wanted to help more people at one time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for people who aren't familiar with me, I spent three years studying course of control in my doctorate at NYU and the experiences of children. And I also have been a licensed clinical social worker. I've worked in child protective services and I teach social work. And I also didn't realize that I was a victim. Right. And so now um, I understand the experiences of parents who have children who are being coercively controlled. And I take my clinical expertise, but also all the research that I've learned on how to support children the best in these circumstances. So if you're a mom who's dealing with a child who is maybe aligned with the abuser or who maybe is questioning you know, what to do. I always say these children do not, they are not their chronological age. If you have been coercively controlled, you are not 10, like a typical 10 year old. Mm -hmm. Your, your ego has been so compromised that you don't see things clearly. And so um, how the the role of the program is to create trauma-informed mamas. (laughs) An army of trauma-informed moms. I love it. And so that moms learn why it's so important to to acknowledge their trauma. But also we talk about grief because literally this whole shit show is grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's grief of what we thought we had with the abuser. It's grief of the child we thought we were raising because these children have been so harmed. It's, it's just so much grief. And it's, I call it disenfranchised grief because Mm -hmm. experts do too, because it's like grief that you can't really talk about with other people because other people don't really get it. If they haven't experienced it. So we talk about that. We talk about what your triggers are, what your child's triggers are, how to become more regulated, understanding your child's brain and how it functions and how yours functions. And then also how to be consistent with boundaries to help your child build trust in you 
They mm-hmm. really, really begin to see you because listen, they've never lost, they are always attached to you. You had an attachment with, with them at birth. That will never go away, but he's trying to fracture it. So how do we build and strengthen it so that they begin to have show empathy and have more agency and move towards resiliency and a stronger attachment with you? And this is a marathon. It ain't no sprint. That's right. This is a marathon. It's, it's going to, you are going to have to work double and triple time, but you are literally, I always, this is what I say. We are showing our children a path to freedom Mm -hmm. and we are doing the hardest work there is. There is no harder work than a child who is abused and no one knows they're being abused, but you. Mm. Yikes. There is no harder work, but you're up for the task. I know you are. That's what I, I know everybody is. We can, we can do this. We can do hard things, the hardest things. And the really cool thing, by the way, is that at some point you begin to realize that your child's triggers actually are part of your healing. Mm, Yeah. So Christine, your next cohort is starting on October 31st. It is. How can people find out about the program, sign up for the program, join the program, take the program? (laughs) How can people get in touch with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's going to be two options. One is going to be where they meet with me weekly um, in an hour and a half group support. And also um, just so people know, there's modules that they have to go through and a workbook, a pretty intensive workbook every week. So it is a time commitment. Um, But also they have a Facebook support group where I'm in all the time. So I think I probably dedicate at least about four to five hours a week for everyone who's in that particular realm where they're meeting with me weekly. Mm-hmm. And that's um, and then there's another option where they can do all the work themselves. And uh, I, I truly, what I'm hearing from people is that it's been immeasurably helpful. I mean, uh, people are feeling very empowered. Moms are feeling like they, they a lot of moms are, understanding the need to reframe their children as trauma victims also. Mm. Um, So it's been very rewarding. And it was a way for me to meet, to be able to help more people at once uh, versus only one person at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so where can they go to find out information about it? I'm at drcochiola.com. They can join um, my, it's called the Protective Parenting Program. If they click on that link in my, on my website, they can go to the early interest list. Also, they can go to I Know Your Heart because only mamas know their children's hearts the best. Everything will be linked in the show notes so that everybody can go. And then also everyone needs to follow Dr. Cochiola on Instagram at coercive control is IPV. Intimate partner violence. That's Mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. And she's got a great Instagram and she's always sharing tons of wisdom. Christine, as always, I adore talking to you and your wisdom is amazing. I appreciate being able to share them more. I always say to people 10 by 10, that's all. Everybody share a little bit to 10 people and we just keep spreading the word. That's right. And I really like the idea of us becoming an army. Like I I posted in, uh, I think, I I don't know if I did a TikTok. I don't know what I did, but I was saying that I want everybody, everybody to become uh, domestic violence advocates, victim advocates. I want everyone to go through some form of training because not to become an advocate out in the world, 
but because that's how we get educated and advocate for ourselves and advocate for our children. And that's how we be- we become an army. I want us to become an army of advocates. I'm, I can I can I be in that army, please? Yeah, you're be. you're leading the army. What are you kidding? I want, I want to be there. I yeah. want to be there. So <laughs> I know there needs to be a movement. There needs to be a movement. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're getting there. <laughs> right, we're getting there. All right, my love. Thank you so much. I adore you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.